Hello everybody, welcome back to another riveting episode of Hard in the Paint Podcast, the NBA podcast where we ask the hard questions in the paint. I am your host, Matt, and again, I am joined by none other than Michael himself, and today is Tuesday, the 29th. Sorry for not having one on Monday, but it was Memorial Day. We all had a great, great long weekend. And hey, we've got such a great viewer base now that we're starting a new thing called our Viewer of the Fortnite. And our viewer of the Fortnite this week is David Boeing, but not banging ovaries. Welcome to the Fortnite, David. And before we get started today, uh, David would like you to know that Taco Bell is your premier choice for Mexican-inspired cuisine on a budget. They provide exceptionally quick service with thousands of drive through storefronts worldwide, with a broad selection of items ranging from quesadillas to nachos, and even Choco Tacos, you'll never leave Taco Bell with an empty stomach. Try some hot, fast, and cheap Mexican-inspired cuisine today. Uh, for f just $5, you get two delicious Doritos Tacos, a Chalupa, a Sida Nachos, and a large fountain beverage with their special partnered Hard in the Paint $5 box meal. It's a great meal for lunch, dinner, fourth meal, whenever, breakfast. Try one at your local participating Taco Bell today. And remember, for each game stolen in the finals, you get a free Doritos Locos Tacos while supplies last. Thank you, Taco Bell, for sponsoring today's show. And into the show we go. We're going to talk about the Eastern Finals recap, the Western Finals recap, as well as the Finals preview masterpiece that will be happening here in a few days. So, Michael, why don't you take it away? Tell me what happened in the Eastern Finals. Threes, dude. Threes actually killed Boston in this game. They had everything going for them. Home court, good start. LeBron was looking a little, you know, off edge at first. And then it all just went to shit in the third quarter where they kept bricking threes. Uh, I don't remember the exact field goal percentage. I think it was like six for like 30 or something. Like absolute garbage by everyone in the cast except – uh, and I hate this. The fuck Duke player of the year, Jason Tatum. They had just given it him the ball in the paint. He would have gone hard. We would have been talking about Boston in the finals. But uh, besides the three ball fetish that has taken over the NBA, the officiating was also pretty shit. But uh, I'll let you get your take in first before I uh, jump on these refs <laughs> yeah i know you've got a big deal with the uh, officiating here these last few games you're you're texting me about and whatnot uh but yeah you're absolutely right um boston totally fell in love with three at the end it felt like their whole offensive scheme is predicated on you know good ball movement using the best options that you can get you know if your first and second and third option isn't there you just keep running setting screens and setting plays until you've exhausted everything. And then you take a, you know, a poor shot decision. Whereas uh, this game seven, they slipped in and out of that fade quite a lot, especially at the end. There's a lot of, um, I feel like there's a little bit of hero ball going on by Jalen Brown at the end. But more importantly, their Rozier didn't really show up, especially in the three threes category. Jalen Brown didn't show up in the threes Marcus Morris didn't show up in the threes. Um, really, it was Al Horford 
not having a super great game, just pretty average, and Jason Tatum also having a pretty average game. Uh, it, it was really just the worst time for all of the threes to not fall, and I think that number was 6-36 of 36 for the game. So Yeah, but like, don't you think with Kevin Love being out, Boston would uh, have gone like into kind of like a rebounding game, like just get it down and dirty? Because the only two Cavs that were really you know doing anything on the boards were LeBron and Tristan Thompson. Like why not have Marcus Morris, Marcus Smart, and Al Horford just kind of bang it down low and get points that way. I mean, Marcus Smart was getting some offensive boards and kicking it back out. And then everything, you know, like Marcus Morris was uh, shooting threes, but half of them didn't look like they were going to hit the rim. So, um, you know, just kind of a – it's kind of frustrating to watch just like a team that had such good team chemistry just kind of fall apart under the pressure of the Game 7. But uh, I really do think that if they had just – doubled up on Thompson down below. They would have just, with numbers, out-rebounded him. That's a good point, and I think you might have been onto something there. I know there was a, a time in the game where I think uh, the Cavs actually started putting Jordan Clarkson in the game, and even George Hill, and they just let uh, Marcus Smart just post up on the guy. And I thought that was not bad offense for seemingly having lost all your legs on your three-pointers. Uh, so I, I would adhere to that. I'm also surprised um, that the, you know, with Kevin Love out, it felt like LeBron's team was actually kind of big. It was like their smallest guy on the court was, um, I don't know who's taller, if it's Jeff Green or Kyle Korver, but I, like that was your smallest player. I know they're old and they're not the best defenders anyways, but it, uh, that I think that threw Boston an interesting little twist on things. Yeah, I mean, Jeff Green had probably the game of his life. I mean, he's been around for about 10 years, 10, 11 seasons, I think. Um, even had a run in Boston. But, I mean, last night it kind of had that uh, Mike Miller, Miami Heat kind of vibe where somehow LeBron just gets some guy, you know, who's usually like a bench roster kind of player to come out and just start making some of those good decisions of whether or not it's to uh, get the three or, you know, drive. I mean, even Jeffrey was driving down, which is insane to think about. Uh, what do you think about how uh, the Cavs are kind of set up with LeBron and a bunch of shooters on the perimeter? I'm, I'm worried because, well, it worked in that game because I think Boston didn't exploit the matchups as as well as they could have, and that's not really what their team's based on, so I kind of get that. However, I think going forward, I think Golden State's a little bit smarter at not only doing that Boston-style ball movement and exhausting options, but also playing to the mismatch a little bit better. Yeah, I mean, everything in like uh, the NBA offense for the last like, two years now has been predicated on uh, getting a switch and then just playing ISO on that on like whatever favorable switch works your way. So in this series, it was all about LeBron James on Terry Rozier. And Boston at first was playing this kind of smart where they would have Rozier face up with LeBron, and then they'd kind of bail him out by doing another quick switch. But the problem was is that Terry Rozier was getting like switched, and then he'd have to like run cross court to cover like JR or Jeff Green or something, or like Kyle Korver. It was Kind of ridiculous. Um, I don't really know why 
that would have been the way, especially with a team like Boston that has a lot of good uh, perimeter defenders that can kind of switch on everything except for maybe Rogier. Um, so it seemed like a bit of a weird uh, coaching decision. But yeah, that's that's a good point. Is um, they, you know, a lot of that time it was just LeBron post up on Rogier, and they would do that quick switch back and forth, and have him kind of cover the uh, weak side corner three. But then LeBron figured it out, right? So then they had to change that up. And I, and surprisingly enough, well, not, I guess not really a surprise considering how big LeBron is, but uh, Jason Tatum can't really stop LeBron. The only time he really gave him any sort of defensive trouble was the last game or two where he pressed into him on the perimeter. Like You saw uh, probably five or six times that last game where Jason Tatum's just in LeBron's grill Kind of similar to what Kawhi used to do to LeBron in Miami, where he would just pressure his ball hand and make him have to think about dribbling and where he's moving. Yeah, but I think LeBron's a lot smarter Like now. I mean, at least in the last three years, I think LeBron has actually kind of become better. Um, the easiest thing that I've seen is like where he sort of does that like drive into the paint and then he kind of like lobs the ball over his head with like both hands cross court to like a shooter like i never really saw that in miami but it's basically become like one of like the few uh things on like his utility belt uh in cleveland now where he sort of drives like either on the left side or the right side and then he like kicks the ball out way overhead to the other side of the court uh looking for the open three um and that's basically what started to burn rogier on those uh kind of bailout switches or bait switches or however you want to kind of call it. Um, and I think LeBron almost kind of out-coached Brad Stevens as well as maybe Ty Lue getting the right subs in at the right time. I mean, um, he even brought in Larry Nance, you know, just to give other guys like a like a blow. So, I mean, between Ty Lue and LeBron, it seems like they sort of figured out Brad Stevens. Um but really, it was just a lack of a, a clutch time score. I mean, that's where you're going to get in Kyrie coming back. But Yeah, it's really a, just a talent takes over thing. That's what Golden State said about Houston. That's what LeBron can say about Al Horford. Just more talent wins you the game. One thing I would like to say is I would have liked to see more Greg Monroe in the low post. I feel like I feel like it would have been just enough of like a 10-minute wrinkle just to throw the Cavs off maybe. Yeah, but would LeBron just switch on a Monroe then at that point? I mean... I would have loved to have seen it, just just for one or two possessions. <laughs> I mean, I was really surprised by how Al Horford just sort of disappeared um, after the first quarter. Um, like, he basically just bailed on the game, and I don't know if that had to do with Tristan Thompson just kicking his ass for the last four games here or what, but... I, th- I think um, Al really gave it a lot in that game six. Like he was, he was playing real hard, and I think, I think it caught up to him game seven. But why don't, why don't we move on to the Western? So as you may know by now, uh, Houston had a fifteen point lead uh, at one point in this game, and then proceeded to miss twenty seven threes in a row, and uh, that's how they lost game seven to the Warriors. That's pretty much the the story of the game right there, all in a nutshell. No Chris Paul, so a lot of people have been saying, oh, you know, if Chris Paul's there, they win that game because they're 15. Or, and I think Eric Gordon went on record saying, you know, if Chris Paul's there, 
you know, we, we got a chance to win. But I think most of us would agree without Chris Paul, they uh, have a very, 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 very small chance to win that. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think the the most striking stat of the game is 7 of 44 from 3. I mean, they took the whole live and die by the three a little too seriously, I think. Um, I think it's basically they showed that Mike D'Antoni's system can get you to a conference finals, but not a finals. There's It's just too taxing of a system, I think, to just keep jacking up threes um, with almost like a compulsion, um, especially like if you're just not hot. Like I was watching Trevor Reason. I mean, the guy, all he did was just jack them up. Like, it's not even like he was, like, thinking, you know, can I make a pass? It was like, I mean, it's basketball, right? You either you either shoot, you pass, or you dribble. And it was like, him, all you do is just jack up threes. There's no, let me try and kick the ball back out. Let me try to move in five feet to get, like, a mid-range. Um, I think he was, like, the perfect example of how this team just kind of fell apart in that second half. Um, it kind of came down to uh, – Golden State had one really good quarter in the third quarter. They just came out and they blood stumped. But Houston had a really bad half. And I guess a really bad half outweighs any good quarter. Really. Yeah, you're you're right on that one. You know, a lot of people are going to look to James Harden saying, oh, LeBron got his team and his team's definitely worse than James Harden's team. Say, oh, why can't Harden do it? And uh, the problem is Harden went like two of twelve from three. He he was literally you could see it in all of his threes. They were just like short, short right, short left, short front. And you could tell his legs were really, really gone at that point. And surprisingly enough, the one the one compliment I'll give to Harden is he had some semblance of defense these last few games. It wasn't was not as bad as it was in the past not certainly great by any standard but he was a player on both sides of the court for once yeah i think that's what really kind of bothers me in these in this uh western finals it it really felt like lebron won the east like he he kind of just brought his team across the line like he really earned it Whereas here, it felt it didn't feel like Golden State won the West. It just felt like Houston lost it, like they threw it away. Um, and so I don't – you know, some of that had to do with some of the really shit officiating in this game. I mean, when Jordan Bell has, like, the moving screen that is, like, longer than, like, the end of Fast and Furious 6 on, like, the air – like the airplane runway. I mean, he was literally pushing him out into the stands at that point, and there was no call. So blatant. And yet, like, Harden was getting hacked from those three-point shots. You know, his classic, let me kind of do this imitation of Katie's, like, rip-through uh, kind of impression. And Bell got him, like, a few times on the, on the uh, elbow and the wrist, and there's just no calls. I mean... And some of those happen at kind of like a pivotal point during this uh, Golden State rush in the third quarter where it might have slowed down the game. Everyone kind of come back, you know, Houston kind of get reorganized, you know, get back in transition off free throws. Harden can kind of get his rhythm back by shooting maybe a couple of free throws, getting back in this game. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it just it just really felt like Houston let this game slip away. I think a lot of people agree with the – 
the idea that once Iguodala went down, Houston had a little bit of an advantage in the series. And then once Chris Paul goes down, you know, you got a one in a million chance of winning that game. And, you know, maybe you argue, okay, maybe we don't miss 27 threes in a row. Maybe we miss 22 threes in a row. Hey, you still lose that game. You know, uh, and to get back to the moving screen part, this is something that has personally ticked me off for like the past two years. Because anytime Draymond's in the finals, you will see a moving screen. 100% guaranteed, uncalled. Sorry. Yeah, he does it all the time. It's it's infuriating. I hate Draymond. I would I would be totally fine with it, but I just like, you know, he's he's a thick boy. He's not he's not like <laughs> he's not like Dwight that's just like gonna outpower you there. So he's gonna just move his hips into you and butt you down illegally. And you'll see, you know, Tristan Thompson do this a little bit too, but he usually gets called for it more. So Yeah, I mean I don't know. I feel like players also like the screen, they do it so high up. Like they're literally like yesterday I saw Quick Capella come like seven, eight feet beyond the three to screen for Harden. Like what good does that help you with? You know, like it, it just seemed like such a weird strategy to the point that like, you know, Houston's kind of led by three guys, right? Mike D'Antoni, James Harden, Chris Paul. And I felt like Mike D'Antoni didn't have a plan B. Harden sort of you know, kind of have this Al Horford, I'm going to kind of run away from the spotlight kind of thing. And I think Chris Paul, the biggest thing is he would have given you that leadership to just kind of get back in the calm. Because it all, because with like eight minutes to go and Houston was only down by 10, um, they basically started panicking uh, for a team that can also like Golden State kind of shoot itself back into a game. They it just seemed like they were packing, except for really Eric Gordon. But even then, it, it just seemed like you know the Houston has to have like all these like gears and pistons like kind of sinking together, and it just felt really off uh, this past um, two games. Yeah, I will. I will say that I think everybody has gained a little bit of stock in Eric Gordon. He, he definitely kind of took over some of that spotlight that Chris Paul left in his injury. And uh, he pushes off a lot, just like Chris Paul. But he's, he's young. He can drive pretty well. He can shoot the three really well. You know, six-man-of-the-year guy. Well, he could probably get a pretty big contract somewhere if his contract's up. But, uh, you know, I'm, that was my surprise. Yeah, yeah, like like Houston just didn't have like their their engine in, in like their offense, um, and then kind of on the flip side, like Steph Curry broke open that game in the third quarter. I mean, if you're gonna say any player actually got them to the finals, it's gonna be Steph Curry in that third quarter um, when he started finding his stroke, finding his rhythm. I mean, he had that really nice highlight with uh, Jordan Bell down kind of on the baseline where he drives, kicks at a bell a little bit, and then Bell kind of goes through the legs, back to Steph. Steph obviously hits the three. And then KD kind of came in the fourth quarter. And it kind of bothers me that KD is kind of – like he's probably going to win finals MVP if uh, Golden State win because of just like his obvious mismatches. But it doesn't really feel like – He's got this, like, it really does feel like, uh, um, 
like a car that's really not working properly. Like I can honestly see this team, Golden State, falling apart over the summer. I can see them winning a title and then falling apart completely in kind of like a 03-04 Lakers kind of way. It's not a bad point. It does have some similarities to that. If you read the uh, the Phil Jackson 12 Rings book, he talks a lot about how that team fell apart. Good book, by the way. But um, you're, you're absolutely right. I think Steph is... He really had the team that game, whereas KD has kind of been a no-show in the playoffs, except for maybe those New Orleans games, just because he had such a raw mismatch. But... You know, who would have thought P.J. Tucker and Trevor Ariza would make KD feel like a no-show? Yeah, I mean, it just feels like KD isn't a warrior, but he's almost trying to make himself like a warrior. Like, he, it's almost like he's trying to rewrite, like, um, the idea of being, like, in the all-time, like, top 20, top 15, top 10. You got to win titles. And so he's trying to, like, kind of force his way into it as opposed to, like, Steph and Clay and Draymond who kind of built it up. It, mm. it, it just, I don't know. It might be lingering effects that I have after his decision to leave OKC. But I agree with you. It feels like, especially this year as opposed to last year, it feels like they're playing a lot more KD hype ISO ball that isn't, it feels almost like, you know, when you have Carmelo on your team, you give him those possessions where he's just like, all right, let Carmelo get get some touches on his short post, and I feel like last year they played him more like they used to play Harrison Barnes, where they would run plays with him and he would come off a screen instead of screen. Whereas this year it's like, all right, just pass it to KD. Yeah, it kind of feels like you know, kind of a lot like those early Lakers teams where Kobe had his way of playing and Shaq kind of had his way of playing, and. You can kind of make it work if you have a good enough coach, but eventually it kind of falls apart, and that's kind of what I see here. Like, I can honestly see Steve Kerr, uh, you know, no matter what happens with Golden State, I think Steve Kerr might end up leaving Golden State. Um, and I think if he leaves, that that kind of vibe, that, like, swagger, that mojo that they have in that locker room, I think that'll start to evaporate. Mm-hmm. Right, well, but, uh, I think that's enough about what happened. Let's talk about what <laughs> might happen in the future. So I believe Thursday is the very first game of the Tetralogy. So the fourth matchup of the Cavs, Warriors, and the NBA Finals. Uh, this had a 3% chance of happening, according to BPI, about a month ago. So I'd say 3% is about the chance LeBron has to win, like, more than three games. <laughs> yeah uh i think they should really rename this whole thing instead of like the nba finals they should just rename it the Cavs warriors cinematic universe and then you have all these like offshoot uh characters you know which are represented by teams like the houston rockets you know are kind of just but ultimately your your main characters are the Cavs and the warriors you know like toronto is the equivalent of a Thor, where he just doesn't really belong and nobody really likes him, but people are okay. So I, mean, I feel like it's really just a Cavs Warrior cinematic universe. And uh, <laughs> the big two players are going to be Kevin Durant and LeBron James. What uh, Do you think they're going to match up against each other, Matt? Do you think they're going to play on each other, or is it too much for LeBron? 
it, it will be I think it'll be very similar last year I think it'll be you know LeBron's dropped a few pounds sure he's got some more cardio he's also gone through uh let's see two seven game series that were basically to the wire to exhaustion sure the Warriors have thrown some games here and there but KD's got relatively fresh legs it, I mean they yeah. got like four days off total for both of them so it shouldn't be a huge deal they're professional athletes but uh KD's gonna be the tallest guy on the court both sides yeah I think uh it's kind of this this whole thing has this sort of weird weirdness to it in terms of the matchup game uh, because Golden State plays so small with Draymond at center, but the Cavs' best lineups tend to be bigger with Tristan Thompson, Kevin Love, and LeBron kind of leading a front court. Um, and so obviously Golden State can kind of, you know, shoot their way out of that and force the Cavs small. Um, and that really does kill uh, the, the Cavs in this series. I mean, Jeff Green had an amazing stretch there in the Eastern Conference Finals. But I don't know how much he can really play in the finals, um, especially with you know, does Iguodala come back? Does Kevin Love come back? Are they both healthy? Are they both really contributing? Um, that could be a big thing too, right? I mean, Iggy is like one of the two LeBron stoppers in the league, um, you know, former Finals MVP. So, uh, I mean, the injuries are huge in this, right? So we've got. Iguodala's out with, I believe it's a knee bruise, a knee contusion. That happened yeah. that happened a yeah. week ago. So maybe, I don't know how long it takes to come back from those, but let's say two weeks. So maybe game three, game four. Kevin Love, that's a concussion protocol. So that has a whole nother slew of tests and required out time associated with that. So he's definitely out for game one, if I'm not mistaken. However, oh man, that's gonna suck. Maybe game four, he could be back. So it, I'm not sure when the days fall, but I think you have to be out like at least a week with concussion or something. Oh man, yeah. Because uh, I think as far as the game schedule go, it's Thursday, then Sunday, then Tuesday, then repeat. Okay, so it'd have to be game four would be another week. So, so maybe both of these guys are back game four at the earliest. Oh wow, yeah. Um, I mean, this doesn't look good for the Cavs on paper, but uh, sometimes I think you just got to believe in miracles, right? I mean, if, if Houston can be that bad offensively, maybe Golden State also is that bad offensively for a game. Um, I mean, the biggest thing I've seen in the, in the West uh, Conference Finals was how the Warriors could kind of readjust at halftime and then just come out in the third quarter and just, you know, it was almost like the first half didn't happen for them in any in any of the last five, six games of that series. Apart from that very first game where they just completely destroyed Houston in the first quarter, it seemed like the third quarter the Warriors just have a lock, and I, I don't know if the Cavs are going to be able to kind of withhold that flood um, of offensive skill from uh, Clay, Katie, and Curry. I don't know how they play George Hill or really anyone smaller than JR. Like that how, how do they defend Steph besides just put bigger body on him? And they're slow yeah, in transition and then they get fast break points. And that's what Golden State absolutely loves against LeBron is fast break points. 
Yeah, I think it's going to be one of those things where the best way of of defending Curry is to play on offense, right? I think I think maybe if they do this switch and then ISO kind of play, LeBron on Curry, maybe he wears down by like game three, game four. You know, maybe that's the way of doing it is you force Steph to do so much on defense that he just can't really – he's not really the dynamo that he is on offense. Um, the problem is, is that at halftime he's going to get that break. And the, the one thing about Steph's game is if he's fresh, if he's healthy – you know, he almost can't be stopped once he gets into a rhythm. So I think it really is about making this series as choppy as possible for the Cavs to have a shot. And that's really where Ty Lue comes in with calling timeouts, getting subs in, rearranging the lineups, kind of, you know, you got to really outplay. Um, you got to outcoach Steve Kerr, but then you also have to outcoach the ability of Steph Curry to kind of be the point guard on the floor. You've got to also, they really have to out-hustle. They really have to, I think they have to muddy the game as much as possible. Yeah, yeah, totally. They need anything to go their way. A loose ball, you know, a tweaked ankle that sits you out for a half. Uh, I hate saying that they need an injury, but that's kind of what they need to even the odds again. Yeah, I, I just... I don't know if the Cavs can force the Warriors with a big lineup. That's that's the way they can beat the Warriors, is if LeBron goes 2015, you know, this kind of uh, low post, um, we're just going to kind of bang you down low kind of game that he had in the 2015 finals with Mozgov and Tristan Thompson, um, also in the front court. Then you force Golden State to put in JaVale McGee and Zaza. Um, as well as, I think, Golden State has something like five centers on the seat. But, I mean, I think maybe if you force them big, then that's like one less uh, operator on the floor, right? I mean, you could have four all-stars and, you know, big. And that still may not be enough, but that could at least maybe get you close. Um, but I think it's going to come down to people like JR. Jeffrey's got to stay hot. I think JR has to get hot, especially he has to kind of um, zero out Clay Thompson, you know, almost kind of like a every point Clay scores, I got to score kind of mentality. Um, but George Hill, yeah, George Hill could be the X factor in this game. I don't really know what to expect from him. I don't know how he's going to show up. Um, who knows? I mean, I feel like if they actually had Derrick Rose – still on this roster, he could actually uh, punish uh, the Warriors enough. I'd get love to see that. <laughs> be the perfect Dude, time for to him see to get his career back. <laughs> he rose finals MVP, regular season MVP, maybe not a Hall of Favor even then. <laughs> uh, do you see anything else in this uh, matchup between Cavs-Warriors Part 4? I know it's a little bit different than or it's one, two, and three before this, but... I think we're okay on the technical foul situation, so no more Draymond bailout. Um, we do have David West now. That's a big wrinkle. JaVale is a big wrinkle. I think LeBron has to go back to 2015, even though he's lost a lot of weight since then, and he has to lead in every statistical category, and JR's got to get, like, 25 again. 
Tristan Thompson's got to get like 20 again. You know, I, I, is this team better than the 2015 finals Cavs team? Ooh, uh, I'm, I, I, on paper, I would say no, but JR is a little older. The big thing is they don't really have that defensive edge that they had in 2015. Uh, Vadova, Iman Shumper, Mozgov, you know, they gave the Cavs a lot of good defense, um, which is something that doesn't really happen in this squad right now. Um, as well as JR being a bit older, Tristan Thompson being older, you know, maybe their legs really just aren't there for four years of kind of constantly going into June and then back again in uh, October to play. Um, but I just don't know if they have enough defense uh, like they did in 2015. I would agree with you on that one. Uh, yeah, I, they lost their defense in exchange for mediocrely better offense. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it kind of feels like the whole, uh, they broke, like, the dollar that was Kyrie in the four quarters, and it just hasn't panned out. You know, they try to fill the Kyrie gap with all these other players, and, you know, unless they kind of sync together, it just it just doesn't work. Um, but the, I think the one intriguing thing is the Cavs bench may actually be better than the Warriors bench. But I don't know if it's significantly better to the point that the Cavs, you know, if they're down by eight, could that bench, you know, close that gap? I don't I don't know if it's if that roster is, you know, kinda kinda does that for them. But um that'd be a good way of getting LeBron some rest too, you know, if their if their bench can actually outplay the Warriors bench. So before we move on to the next section, what is your over under on on points that Rodney Hood scores? <laughs> I think it's going to be over eight. I'll take over eight. Over eight for the entire series. Yeah, I don't think he plays. I don't think he plays until game three in Cleveland. Uh, so I'm going to I'm going to say uh, eight points. OK, yeah, I, actually, that seems really good to me. I was going to say like five <laughs> or six, but sure. Sure. All right. What's, so... an, extra, what's an extra free throw? <laughs> Yeah, so here we go. So we uh, we went through the winners and losers of Eastern Conference and the Western Conference Finals, and uh, we decided that you know Houston and Boston are really close to getting there, and they just need a little something to get over the hump. So we went through, looked at some of the players, looked at some of the contracts, and uh, we're trying to make these teams get over the hump. So what, what's our step for the Celtics? Uh, I think it's really about the, the the rehab, the healing process for Kyrie and Gordon Hayward. Um, as well as, I mean, Brad Stevens has all summer to figure out how to fold Gordon Hayward into this squad, right? Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum played so excellently that his dilemma is actually, how do I get Gordon Hayward into this team? Um, and I think it's a pretty, you know, I think it's a, it's a good challenge to have. Um, and I think Brad Stevens being... Brad Stevens, you know, he's a he's a stats guy, he's an analytics guy, he's also a pretty good guy to understand like just overall strategy of the game. Um, I think he'll figure out how to get Gordon Hayward in this. So I don't know if there's necessarily that they have to add uh, anyone or into this team. I think the only real spot would be that kind of Marcus Morris 
power forward spot to kind of team up with Al Horford. Uh, just give him some size. Um, I think the the interesting question is, you know, Terry Rozier, what do they kind of do with him? They definitely need an upgrade at the backup point guard spot that can make threes. I think that's fair to say, assuming Kyrie's back and he's healthy and nothing goes wrong there again. Um, the Marcus Bros are definitely up for, for contracts. I think I think they'll end up keeping Marcus Smart. I could see Marcus Morris, though, potentially getting shipped in a deal with um, maybe with Terry Rozier to go get a little bit better power forward, small forward hybrid mix. Anybody got a mind? Uh, that's a great question. Because they, I say, they, I say they go for Paul George, man. <laughs> Put Paul George at the four. Sure, I, they got to throw another piece in there. Well, they got a, they got a solid pick. Uh, Boston's got all kinds of picks, like draft picks. They're always winning. They're always they got they still have the stash of uh, picks between the Philly, between Philly and the Nets and stuff. So maybe throw a pick in there. But what what kind of power forward do you want? Do you want a three point shooter, a defense, a driver, a post up? What are you looking for? Uh, I think I think with Boston, I mean their their mentality is all about guys that can kind of play in kind of like this amorphous kind of lineup where they can kind of do a lot of switching on defense. Um, they can shoot threes, like a lot of good, a lot of two way guys, right? Who are also decent at the three. I mean that's Paul George. Like he might be the quintessential person, you know, star, superstar, whatever you want to call him, that kind of fits that of two-way player, good at the three. And after watching the OKC, I don't necessarily think he wants to be, like, the alpha dog on the team. And, I mean, this would still very much be Kyrie's team. So do you think they keep uh, Terry Rogier, or do you think they uh... – you think he's out of there? You think he's uh, going to get shipped out of Boston? That's that's a real tough one. I think they should they should ship him out. I don't think he will get shipped out. Ooh, interesting. Do you think he uh, he stays because he wants to stay, or do you think like if I'm scary Terry Rogier, I got to go out and look to get paid? You know, I think. I think he should go out to go get paid while he can, because um, he's not the he's not the biggest guy, and I think he almost might fall under this Isaiah Thomas, it four it four Isaiah Thomas uh, kind of thing, where if he ever gets injured, I mean there goes his his value in the league. So maybe it's worth it to try and get your money now. If I'm Terry though, do I want to go leave and get my money now, or do I want to stay on? Would probably be the favorite to win the East next year. I mean, if he's going to a team in the East, the East is going to be even more wide open next year. Uh, you know, I mean, especially if, if, you know, who knows what happens with LeBron and Chris Paul and Paul George. But um, after those three, I mean, the East could be crazy wide open. Like maybe him just going to any other kind of decent team, uh, he might be back in the conference finals. But, uh, I, yeah, I mean, I would agree with you that uh, Marcus Smart is kind of really the the interesting uh, one to watch. Um, he's at the end of his contract, uh, not that the season is concluded. He's getting about $4.5 million, um, but obviously he's, he's in need of a huge pay upgrade, right? I mean, at least 
three times that, something approaching maybe kind of the 18 to 20 million mark. I think he's proved his worth. They think he's kind of got that PJ Tucker kind of vibe where he's a little, a little smaller than you might think, but he can defend really well. Um, he's got pretty good instincts, I think. Um, even yesterday, in or not yesterday, but two days before in Game 7, when he was getting those offensive rebounds for a small guy and he was kicking it back out and kind of, you know, trying his, his best to will his team back in, um, which is what I saw P.J. Tucker doing a lot. So I think I think both those guys have that kind of intangibles mark, which gets him an extra four or five million. But do you think Boston's willing to pay? I'm not sure what their cap space is looking like. I would assume they'd be willing to go over for one year because they know they've got this narrow window where, you know, let's say LeBron goes west for next year. That's all theirs for the taking right in the east. So I, I think you've you've got to try and keep him. He's I feel like he's kind of this weird Iguodala type guy for your team where yeah. he does so much more that you don't see. Yeah, I agree. It almost kind of feels like if the Raptors had Marcus Smart, we'd be talking about the Raptors in the finals. <laughs> you know, it just kind of seems like... <laughs> I don't know. It just seems like you need a guy like Marcus Smart that's going to make your superstars, at, you know, kind of like like play like superstars, you know? He does a lot of the dirty work, the rebounding, the defense, the steals... You know, the, the, even even kind of just being a presence on the floor. And, you know, that's kind of what the Raptors kind of lacked in that series. So, you know, if, if I'm like another one of these Eastern teams like Toronto or uh, – actually, I don't know who else. I don't know, not Philly, not Washington, but um, maybe the Heat. You know, maybe, maybe you try and see if you can tempt Marcus Smart away with just by, you know, showing some cash. Um, I don't really see that though. I think everyone in Boston's kind of bought into the mentality, but everyone's got their price. Uh, what do you think about the Western Conference losers, the Houston Rockets? Well, the number one thing everyone's going to talk about is the LeBrockets possibility of next time around, which could very well be a thing. Uh, I assume that LeBron's going to leave win or lose. I don't see a reason for him to stay personally unless yeah. he's a big loyalty guy and unless they do some crazy ass trades like they did in that all-star break but other brackets is definitely a possibility from many many sources uh personally i think eric gordon needs to be shipped out and they need to use him in a deal maybe with uh Probably with Ryan Anderson to get another marquee guy. Ryan Anderson is their huge drain on their pockets right now. Yeah, dude, it's like twenty million a year, man, and he's still got two years. He got forty million locked up in Ryan Anderson. Think how ridiculous it is that you can just straight up trade Ryan Anderson for Carmelo. And he, <laughs> he has star power. Like that's that's insane. Yeah, I, I mean, honestly, I. I could I so Chris Paul is obviously a I think he's an unrestricted free agent so I think he could actually walk. Houston can offer him uh, two hundred million dollars over five years, um, but he's also 32, 33 years of age. Um, obviously, he's got some injuries in the last few years. 
Um, so I don't know if Houston is necessarily going to pay him, you know, kind of max money, which I'm Chris Paul. You already walked away from the Clippers for max money to go win a title. You didn't get there. Um, and, you know, everything kind of shows that, you know, you can't really keep this team together. Like this was kind of their one shot to take at the Warriors uh, just because of the uh, contracts of other pieces on this team. Um, I wouldn't actually rule out LeBron staying in Cleveland. I actually think that's that's what is going to happen is LeBron stays in Cleveland and just attracts talent to him. So I can still see a Chris Paul, LeBron James team, but maybe not in Houston, maybe in Cleveland. Um, Eric Gordon, uh, you know, he's not making that much money. He's only making uh, around 14 – oh, sorry, around 7 or $8 million a year, which is, uh, you know, nothing compared to Ryan Anderson. Um I think he also just wants to be a starter. Uh, you know, I in for much of the stretch of games six and seven, he actually looked like the better player, the better guard. Um, so I think he deserves some starter money. Uh, but the other big thing is Quint Capella. Um, he had some good stretches at the uh, in the first half of game seven. Um, they really kind of keep him on the floor in the second half with Hacka Capella. Uh, he's looking at the 20 to 25 million range. Um, and I think if they try to entice like another big star, like LeBron in there or Paul George or something, you can't really keep all that together. So I think Capella might be on his way out, which I don't know if it necessarily hurts them. Um, but it's hard to find a good five in the NBA now. Yeah. He's a great personality. I think, you know, we, we had the Dwight, Rockets experience a couple years ago and that was back when Capella was a lowly bench player and yeah. he filled that role didn't have the big attitude is getting paid for it rewardingly and you know back going back to your point this was kind of the stars aligned for the Rockets and then you've got an injury here an injury there and it took your your system out of whack so I, I think you're right in that Hey, this is a lot of contracts that are all coming together at just the right time to either win or lose big. And yeah, I think it, the sad thing is uh, Trevor Ariza being so cold last night just hurt his trade value. Yeah, it's really sad. I personally want to see. I could definitely see Chris Paul leaving, like you said, but he's if he's a ring chaser, which. Maybe he's looking at now as his new identity. Where can he ring chase to? Cleveland, dude. Cleveland? I was thinking. Yeah. What about ring chase to Minnesota? Ooh. Jimmy Butler, Chris Paul, backcourt. Your rose on the bench. Then you got your Timber Pups front court. And then Wiggins maybe gets shipped down to Houston. So it's okay if Capella walks. Maybe you make turn Wiggins into a five. Yeah, I could see that. Or there's a little guy in San Antonio that's getting old. And if Kawhi stays. Or, that'd be a good one, too. Because, uh, I mean, if there's one thing Pop knows how to do, it's keep some of the uh, older guys healthy for their playoff run. Um, you know, we've seen that before. I mean, how is Mario able to play at the age of 40? And Dunk. Dunk. I mean, he dunked in the playoffs. So maybe, yeah, maybe that's a good choice for Chris Paul. Uh, Chris Paul, Lamarcus Aldridge seems really good. 
in 2010. I don't know if that's something to try in 2018. It just seems a bit slow. Um, but uh, the other big thing Houston really has to think about is uh, Mike D'Antoni. Do they keep Mike D'Antoni as the head coach? Yes. Because you had the number one record. And you had the MVP. Dwayne Casey. Dwayne Casey had the number one uh, He beat the record Warriors. Yeah, I, uh, I don't know. I've never been a fan of Mike D'Antoni. I always thought it was a stupid idea to care about offense and hope somehow that beats a good defense. But that never seems to make sense to me, especially in the playoffs when games are usually a lot tighter, especially as series go on, rotations shorten, guys tend to just play harder for possessions. Um, it, it always seemed like it was a good flair game like a Harlem Globetrotters kind of style, but it never seemed like it could be fruitful. Um, and I think it took a guy like Chris Paul to kind of be like this yin-yang balance with Mike D'Antoni, um, with Chris Paul kind of bring and uh, Luke Mabute and P.J. Tucker, you know, these kind of defensive-minded players to kind of keep Mike D'Antoni in kind of a balance. Um, but if Chris Paul isn't there, um, if Ariza's not there, uh, PJ Tucker, for some reason, isn't there. I don't know if the D'Antoni system can work again. That's my problem. Is let's say he goes, a team's gonna want to hire him. I don't think there's another team that's built for him. Uh, pair him with John Wall in Sacramento. Oh boy, Darren Fox, John Wall, Mike D'Antoni. <laughs> you gotta be kidding me <laughs> why i mean it'd be the greatest it'd be the craziest it'd be the fastest four zero sweep of the sacramento kings we have ever seen all right hear me out d'antoni leaves who replaces him Ooh, uh honestly dwayne casey is not a bad option uh, in Houston, uh, or maybe like a Van Gundy, bring back Jeff Van Gundy, dude, or, or Stan, but mostly Jeff, mostly Jeff Van Gundy. Also, <laughs> if Steve Kerr retires at the end of the season, um, what if he goes to Houston? What if he says, you know what, this whole Golden State thing, like they get, you know, the players get way too much credit, you know, Steph, Clay, KD, Draymond, they're getting too much credit. It's actually me that can do this. So Steve Kerr coaches James Harden to beat the Golden State Warriors. Nothing? <laughs> Have I just yeah. shocked you into silence? I, I would be so surprised by that. I'm just I just, and I'm just like, I don't know. I, I feel like this was Houston got their chance with a system that fundamentally doesn't really work in basketball where you just shoot up threes and you go for layups and you play the ISO and you focus on all these like analytics. Um, but like yesterday, you know, one of, one of Houston's best players was PJ Tucker. Who's a guy that never really has like a stat sheet, like never fills up the box um, on the stat sheet, but he gives you all those intangibles 
And that's what really kind of kept them in the game for a large part. Like he, he kept getting how many offensive rebounds. And so I don't know if playing the analytics is really going to help this team get to the next level. I think either they need like an intangibles player to come in, like a new a new guy on the roster that has these intangibles, um, which might be like a LeBron. Or, but I don't know if LeBron works in this system with Mike D'Antoni. Um, or it's got to be a coach that understands intangibles, uh, like a Steve Kerr or like a Dwayne Casey. All right, let me, let me pitch two things to you. One, <laughs> did you know that the Rockets have shot more threes than twos this year? That's what's wrong, dude. That, that, that is a terrible thing. The only team in NBA history to do that. Secondly, I'm thinking of Chris Paul here. I'm thinking of teams that he played for in the past. And you know what's one team that has a, a low-tier point guard that also has a power forward? That's better than Ryan Anderson. I'm thinking, Let's do it. I'm thinking Rondo plus Miritich oh. plus someone else over to Houston. Get Chris Paul back to the Pelicans. You've got Chris Paul, Drew Holiday, Solomon Hill, Anthony Davis, and a recovering boogie. How is that team not in a top three in the West? I don't know if they could. It's a good, the good part about Houston a little bit was – and we, and we kind of saw this with James Harden. Uh, when they switch on defense, they could switch on defense. Like even when they were switching onto Harden, Harden played some, you know, above average Harden defense. You know, I mean, he played some average defense, uh, especially in games five and six. Uh, sorry, especially games four, four and five. I don't know if the New Orleans Pelicans really have that ability. Um, because Boogie can't really do that. He, Anthony Davis, I can I can agree, and that would be amazing to watch. I think, um, but I don't know if that all gels together with Boogie, Anthony Davis, and Chris Paul all kind of because it's really Anthony Davis's team. And I don't know if he's ready to let go of it. I I personally think that you've got. You know, if you had Chris Paul there, you'd have your offensive coordinator. It's already above average defense, so you got Drew Holiday to be your kind of one-two backcourt punch. Seems great. You're obviously weak at small forward, but what the heck are you going to do? You're the Pelicans. You have Anthony Davis to cover up Chris Paul's shortness, and then you've got to go fetch a power forward of some variety. Miritich is freaking amazing in that series. But I think you'd have to give him up to make Chris Paul work. Yeah, I mean, to me, it just almost seems like there's not going to be a team that can be assembled to beat the Warriors. It almost has to happen a bit more organically, where a team just kind of like kind of like a Boston, where yeah, they went out and got Hayward and Kyrie Irving. But the rest of that is, you know, stuffed up, stuffed up by, like, the draft. Terry Rogier, Tatum, Brown, Smart. And so maybe it's maybe it's maybe maybe that's the blueprint for breeding the Warriors is you have to kind of take a year to build and then go out and uh, try and take them down. I don't know if a team can just be hashed together over a summer like we saw in Houston. Um, I think it gives them a good chance. 
But if the Warriors have number one, like the number one regular season uh, seeding next year, um, it's going to be tough to win, you know, possibly two games in or at the Oracle. I just think it'd be a beautiful ending for Chris Paul. He could retire there where he was drafted. So, so New Orleans would still need like a small forward though, right? They need a small forward for free, pretty much. LeBron will do it. <laughs> LeBron for $5 million. You know, that's, that's part of his philanthropy now. <laughs> he donates his entire salary to New Orleans in an effort for future hurricane uh, damage, you know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That LeBron pro bono. <laughs> All right, well, you got, you got anything else before we wrap up the show today? Uh, the World Cup is coming up. we got some interesting teams. But uh, interesting enough, we have some teams that won't be in the World Cup this year, including Powerhouses Italy, uh, the Netherlands, and everyone's favorite and only team, the United States. Uh, but there are some interesting players who uh, may or may not make their – kind of international debut, and uh, that'd be Marquinhos of Brazil, as well as Paulo Dybala uh, of Argentina. So World Cup on the horizon. So uh, I heard I heard a rumor that Ronaldo was thinking of leaving or something like that. Uh, I mean, honestly, he's, he's kind of got this LeBron kind of thing where he's about the same age as LeBron, and it's how much – more can he keep doing? Like he had a he had a pretty solid year, you know, last eighteen months, uh, and I don't know if he's starting to wear down in terms of exhaustion or, you know, kind of just the mental fatigue of keeping of uh, keep going to like the Champions League finals. Um, he's won four of the last five, including a three peat now, but he's kind of got like a bit of like a LeBron kind of challenge where it's, you know, is it time to leave? Um, but. I don't know. There's a there's a lot of good questions to be asked. Um, well, and, uh, we appreciate everybody watching this week or listening, whatever. You... Oh, also go go Golden Knights. <laughs> the Golden Knights, the Golden State Warriors. That's who's gonna win. All right. Well, thank you guys for listening and watching to another great episode of Hard in the Paint podcast. Uh, as always, we appreciate your questions and comments and concerns in the email provided below. And uh, we look forward to speaking with you all soon after the first game of the finals happens. Have a great Tuesday or Wednesday or whenever you're listening to this, everybody. Got that free taco when Cleveland beats them in game one. Free tacos. Let's go. <laughs>